Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Hello, everyone. I am Paul Amputis, Vice President of Capital Link. Welcome back to the 2024 Capital Link's corporate presentation series. In this series, company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We are pleased to have with us today the senior management team of Navigator Gas, Mr. P Mads Peter Zacco, CEO, Mr. Gary Chapman, CFO, Mr. Owen Lindman, CCO, and Mr. Randy Givens, Executive Vice President, IR and Business Development. Navigator Gas plays a vital role in the liquefied gas supply chain for energy companies, industrial consumers, and commodity traders with the sophisticated vessels providing an efficient and reliable floating pipeline between the parties connecting the world today, creating a sustainable tomorrow. The company's common shares trade on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol NVGS. In terms of logistics, uh, we begin with the company presentation followed by Q&A. Please note that participants can submit their questions through the Q&A button on your screen during the webinar. Your questions will be answered on during the Q&A session. Before we begin our webinar, kindly note that this discussion is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. The webinar does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment advice or advice of any kind, and Capital Inc. bears no responsibility for the content. Let us now begin with our discussion. I'd like to pass the floor to Mr. Randy Gibbons. Please go ahead. Hey, thank you so much, Paul. <clears throat> thank you, Capital Link, for the forum. So I just wanted to give a heads up as we conduct today's presentation. We will be, we will be making various forward-looking statements. These statements include, but are not limited to, future expectations, yeah. plans, and prospects from both a financial and operational perspective, and based on management's assumptions, forecasts, and expectations as of today's dates, as such are subject to risks and uncertainty. Actual results may differ from our forward-looking information and financial forecast. With that, I'll now pass the floor to Mads Pirozako, the company's Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Randy. And let's go on to page number three, please. Yes, so this is where we give a quick overview of our, our company business. Uh, Navigator Gas is the leading anti-size gas tanker owner and operator. You can see the overview here. Here you'll see that we have global customers. We have presence across all the time zones with offices in Asia, Europe, and North America. We are listed on the New York Stock Exchange with a market cap of uh, about $1.2 billion currently. We own and operate 56 gas carriers. Uh, and we also own 50% of the world's largest ethylene export terminal in Mortgage Point in Texas. 25 of our vessels are ethylene capable, the most sophisticated kinds, and the average age across the fleet here is 10 years. You can see our balance sheet is strong. We have a solid cash position and a very manageable amount of bank debt. So that was a quick overview, and let's flick on to page number two, or number four, it must be. Yeah, so this is where we give a quick overview of the different commodities that we carry. Um, LPG, ethane, petchems, and ammonia have been and will continue to be our core business. 
LPG is propane and butane. You know them from the gas barbecue at home, and they have historically been a larger part than they are today, uh, but, but it remains an important part of our business. Both LPG and ethane are versatile energy carriers as well as chemical building blocks. Pet chems include ethylene, that's an important building block for plastic production, um, and it's a, it's a commodity that many vessels in the global gas tanker fleet cannot carry, but as I said, 25 of ours can, so it's an important niche for us and also a high-earning niche. Ammonia is used in the production of fertilizer, and it's key to food production and food security globally. Blue and green ammonia are important future businesses for, for Navigate, and we expect that there will be significant uh, growth in the volumes that will be uh, produced and, and, and transported when we go a couple of years into the future. And the same also goes for CO2. Uh, CO2 is not a commodity we are, we are transporting today, but we expect that volumes will become very large in the near future, and, and we will be playing an important role in this value chain uh, as Navigator Gas here. So another important future growth area. Please move on to the next page. This is just to say that ESG is important to us. Uh, it's important for us because it makes our business stronger. We are well prepared where we are right now for the energy transition with CO2, green, blue, ammonia, as just mentioned. And we will have a stronger business when the energy transition happens, that being fast or being slow. Investing into energy efficiency is the most profitable investment we can make at the current point in time and buy some margin. Some of our energy efficiency investments are being paid back in less than a year or so. We also invest in our people. We want to attract the and retain the best and the brightest people amongst men, women, all nationalities, ethnicities, etc. When it comes to governance, that's on top of our agenda. Uh, that's because it protects you, our shareholders, and it's the foundation for our business. So that's why we focus and talk a lot about ESG, and that's why you can also see that we have progressed significantly in the rankings over the past couple of years, and we are looking to further enhance that position. With that, I'll move it on to the next page and hand over the word to Eivind uh, Lindemann, who will talk a little bit about our commercial outlook. Over to you, Eivind. Thank you, Mats. Next couple of slides, we'll talk about some of the key fundamentals for navigating gas and also our future. So if you please look to the next slide. Here we illustrate historically uh, the earnings days mix of the navigator fleet. And to the left, you can see a large portion of uh, the cargoes we carried and uh, our customers were involved in LPG. So that is the propane and butane. However, if you go to the right, which is present day, uh, you can see that is more and more of ammonia coming into our product mix, our earnings, as well as petrochemicals, which is the lighter blue on top. So the lighter blue petrochemicals is directly associated with our terminal and our terminal expansion. And the ammonia is becoming greater because of food security, longer distances to, to sail with ammonia as a feedstock to the fertilizer production, but in the future, more and so ammonia for energy. So we'll talk a little bit about that. 
So that is the, the, the growth areas for Navigator going into the next couple of years. And then we also have CO2, which is not on this page because it's not here today, the seaborne transportation of CO2, which plays an important role, particularly for European management to decarbonize some of the industries we have. If you go to the next slide, we're really talking about US. Why US? US is really a driver, the big locomotive for future growth in all things gas-related commodities. And it has a huge implication on navigator. So we generally get questions about, okay, how can we look at indices? How can we look at uh, market uh, statistics to, to pinpoint the future of the, the business fundamentals for navigator? Well, uh, we tend to look at the NGL production. So you can go on the EIA's website and look at the updated NGL production in the US. NGL is natural gas liquid, which includes propane, butane, and ethane. So the more production, the more US is in excess state, and therefore it'll uh, export products. So further to that, on the middle chart, we can uh, we can graph the pricing of ethane and ethylene. So US produced ethane is the lowest, the dark blue line is decreasing. So a ton of ethane today is almost at $100 a ton. It's exceptionally cheap, competitively priced, because if you are in the business of producing ethylene, then ethane is the most efficient building block to use to produce one ton of ethylene. And you can see that they are recently trailing each other. So US ethylene is reducing in price, whilst European and Asian demand is stable, meaning that the arbitrage for ethylene exports from the US is increasing, which is a positive. If you look on the, the graph to the right, uh, you can see the US ethylene export volumes. They have come down in absolute terms. Uh, more product is going to Europe because this is a result of the Panama Canal issues and indirectly also the Suez Canal Red Sea issue. What it doesn't show is that the, uh, it takes longer to ship one ton of ethylene. So whilst the absolute volume exports have gone down, the utilization and so forth for our ships, the voyages are longer, so that has not been impacted as such. Next slide, please. And same with US ethane as ethylene, the absolute volume has gone down on the left-hand side. It's generally because the voyages are longer. So it's the same amount of ships available, but they have to go longer. So you, by default, you'll be exporting less volume, but voyages are longer. Now, the middle chart is really the handy-sized ethane and ethylene volumes. They've been steady, trending up from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Uh, so that is a positive for, for Navigator, who is specifically very much focusing on ethane and ethylene carriage. Next slide, please. On the market rates, uh, you can see that there's been quite some development over the last few months. Um, so here we are showing the very large gas carriers who 
tend to only do LPG propane. And then the, the smaller ships, the medium-sized ships, ships, the heavy-sized ships, and the smaller ships, ethylene and semi-refrigerated. <clears throat> so you can see that recently there's been a big markup in the quoted market assessment for all the ship types, particularly the handy size, so that's the dark blue, and particularly the ethylene handy size, it jumped up and have reduced a little bit lately. However, the very large gas carriers are also coming down. So the propane side is reducing, whilst the handy size is keeping quite strong. And I'm sure we can discuss more in details on that in the Q&A but it's looking quite robust uh, over the last couple of months in terms of what the market is assessing the ships, what the, what the rate environment is. Next slide. So you can see on the new building side, the order book remains quite low in the hand size. That's the middle one with the green, within the green circle. Only 6% of the existing fleet is on order, which is very low, historically very low. Uh, that is great because it takes generally three years to from order to a ship being delivered from a shipyard. So that remains uh, an attractive proposition in our little segment. Next slide. In terms of Panama Canal and now the Red Sea issues, uh, typically we exported ethane and US ethylene from Houston, our terminal, via Panama Canal to Asian consumers. Now we go via Cape if it goes to Asia. And of course that uh, takes dramatically longer on a round voyage basis, um, which is important to, to take note when you talk about availability of ships and volumes being exported. But now also from uh, trade lanes from Europe to Asia is generally gone away because it's uneconomical to ship butadiene, for instance, from Europe around the Cape to Asia because of the Red Sea or the Red Sea issues uh, recently. So it's a, it's a challenging environment. However, ships are employed, uh, volumes are being exported, but of course the freight element is bigger than it used to be when we sailed through the Panama. And of course, there's a limit of how much freight the product trade can carry because we have this arbitrage we open the remarks with. And of course, if, you, if the entire delivered price to Asia becomes too high against substitute products from oil, then of course, you reach the limit. Next slide, please. And that's over to Karen. Thank you, Ivan. Uh, I'm just going to run through some uh, numbers from our latest published uh, results, which was the third quarter of 2023. Uh, the quarter continued good momentum for Navigator, despite the third quarter usually being uh, seasonally quieter. Uh, the TCE uh, was 26,278. That's the time charter equivalent which was significantly up from $22 just over in quarter three, 2022. Utilization of our vessels, as has, has been mentioned, was 93.4%, which was over our Q3 guidance of around 90%. And uh, 
our OPEX was well managed in Q3 and the terminal joint venture that we talked about at Morgan's Point has contributed well. And you'll see, as I think most companies will experience, our net interest expense and our interest income are both up in the third quarter of 2023, uh, trending on the, uh, the overall market conditions that we've seen in finance. And the tax line, uh, which has shown a significant increase over the same period in 2022, was really a result of the tax due on our terminal joint venture, and a lot of that is, is deferred tax. Overall, we reported a record EBITDA of 72.2 and net income attributable to our shareholders of 19.1 million, and our earnings per share was 26 cents. If we just move to the next slide, please. We had a cash break even of $19,260, which gives us a really positive EBITDA in even some of the toughest market conditions. And I'm not going to list all of the numbers on the right hand side, but the, the guidance there is for our OPEX and our full year estimates uh, for some of our GNA and depreciation and interest costs there for our 56 vessels. On to the next slide, please. Again, to mention our record EBITDA in Q3, uh, our terminal performed well as well. And just to reiterate, uh, we believe Q4 should also be strong. And then below on the charts, we've got some historic EBITDA, which shows a really positive trend on the left-hand side. And you can see some sensitivities on the right-hand side against our 2022 EBITDA, and also for every $1,000 per day increase in, in charter rates, what the effect that will have on our, on our forecast EBITDA. So I think there's a really positive um, scenarios there for upside for Navigator. On to the next slide, please. I think it's important just to note our dry docks. We've got a very busy year in 2024, but it's also important to say that all of these are scheduled and they're factored into our budgets and our cash flows. And I think it's also worth mentioning, as Mads was saying at the, at the top of the presentation, that we're focusing on many energy saving technologies that have either a very short payback or uh, a very strong ESG component. And we've got approximately 4.8 million set aside for uh, certain technologies and energy saving devices to be put onto our vessels during these dry docks in 2024. So we'll hope to see some benefits and some savings come through those pretty quickly. On to the next slide, please. Just touching on our balance sheets. Um, we had a strong cash position, again, as Mads was saying, at 30th of September, 178 million plus change against our 56 vessels and our balance sheet, along with the equity method investment, which is our terminal investment at Morgan's Point. We've got a minimum cash covenant with our banks of around $50 million, uh, and our liquidity increased over the first nine months of, of 2023 based on our positive trading. And then moving over to the, the final slide on the finance section, our net debt EBITDA uh, ratio was 2.9 times. And we've got no debt maturities until 2025, although we are starting those processes in 2024 so that we can do them in good time. I think overall, from a financial perspective, we feel Navigator is really well placed to take advantage of the opportunities that come. Uh, and, and I think there are going to be many of them when we speak to our commercial colleagues. And as well as giving the board lots of options over our return of capital policy and for them to obviously make those decisions. So I think we've got lots of flexibility. We've got some really good resources that we can tap into 
in order to uh, bring uh, future growth to, to the business. And with that, I'll hand over. Thank, Thank you. Gary. So yeah, following up on several of the announcements we made in recent months, we want to provide some additional details on the updated developments regarding a few of those announcements. So starting on slide 21, in line with our recently announced return of capital policy and the illustrative table below, uh, we're returning 25% of net income, which equated to $4.8 million to shareholders for our most recent quarter. As discussed in the past, this return of capital policy starts with a fixed cash dividend of five cents per share, regardless of earnings, combined with a floating component of either a large dividend or share repurchases. Now with Navigator shares trading well below our NAV and greater than $23 per share, we've decided to use the variable portion of this return of capital policy to repurchase shares. As a reminder, between December 2022 and May of 2023, we repurchased 3.8 million shares at an average price of around $13 per share for $50 million. Subsequently, the board authorized a new $25 million share repurchase program, of which we have used $4.1 million during the third and fourth quarters. Returning capital shareholders, it's relatively new for Navigator, but something we see as a requirement for a shareholder-friendly company. Now on slide 22, following up on our previous announcement regarding the expansion of our ethylene export terminal under the 50-50 joint venture with Enterprise Products Partners over at Morgan's Point, we agreed to a capital project to increase the export capacity from approximately 1 million tons for our existing train to at least 1.55 million tons and up to 3.2 million tons per year by converting an existing ethane refrigeration train to also refrigerate ethylene. So the project is now underway. Some of the long lead items have already begun to be delivered. Groundwork is progressing on the irrigation and electricity component and construction is expected to occur throughout this year, likely to be completed by December of 2024. So for CapEx from us, the total contribution will be between 120 and $130 million, the majority of which will be paid later this year. We've currently paid around $35 million to date with the remaining CapEx expected to be paid from cash on hand until new financing agreements are completed later this year. As you can see in the bottom left chart, the terminal continues to push out some substantial values and discussions are ongoing with current and new customers for multi-year offtake contracts with the vast majority of the additional guarantee capacity expected to be contracted during the construction phase in the coming months. On slide 23, we've been very active in renewing our fleet over the past year or so. We sold our four oldest vessels and acquired 60% of five modern ethylene-capable handy-sized vessels. So our current fleet of 56 vessels is now 10.6 years of age with an average fleet size of 21,000 cubic meters. On slide 24, you'll see our announcement with the Blue Streak CO2 Consortium. We have a joint venture with Bumi Amada. So Blue Streak, we will be transporting the CO2 on vessels from the UK out to an FPSO, a former FPSO that Bumi Amada will be using to inject the CO2 into the seabed, right? Providing a solution from the terminal to this CO2 sink per se. So we are working on contracts and developments on that and we will keep you posted. On slide 25, for our most recent announcement, we announced a new investment alongside Yala Growth Ventures 
to acquire 14.5% interest in a Zane Fuel Solutions. This is the world's first provider of ammonia bunkering solutions. As you can see, Azane has already has grant financing secured, and importantly, has a partnership with Yara Clean Ammonia and a commercial agreement for the pre-order of up to 15 units to be built delivered uh, to be built over time. Now, the FID for the first few units is likely in the coming months, and the first green ammonia bunkering units are expected to be delivered in 2025. So, as Orvin mentioned, we continue to believe ammonia will be a key future fuel for the shipping industry, and we are certainly putting our money where our mouth is with this strategic investment. On the last slide, just wanted to highlight kind of our five key pillars for capital deployment uh, in the recent past, in the present, and the future. So, as we've seen in shipping on slide 26, it's one thing to make money, it's a whole other thing to be a good steward of this capital. So, what we've done in the past is what we plan on doing. If you can advance the one slide to 26. So we'll continue to reduce our debt. Uh, over the last 12 months, we've already repaid $125 million through quarterly debt amortization. Um, and we've already bought back some of those unsecured notes that mature in 2025. We began paying dividends, and we will continue to do so. Same on repurchasing shares. We already discussed that. We've renewed our fleet and continue to look at potential secondhand uh, acquisition opportunities. And lastly, on the expanding our energy infrastructure, obviously on the ethylene terminal expansion, and also looking at other onshore export and or import facilities. So we will spread our money wisely. Uh, with that, I'll turn it back over to Paul. I believe there's some uh, Q&A. Yes, hi. So uh, we're starting the Q&A here, and uh, we have a... Uh... A uh, number of questions that have already uh, been submitted. Um, is there a set price that will force the buyers to go with alternative options, a price per day? Ivan, if, if you can take that, if you're muted. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it perhaps not a, a time chart or dollar per day, but it's a... It's a dollar amount. So we talked about a little bit in the opening commentary about US ethane costing a little bit more than $100 a ton, resulting in production of ethylene US of $400 a ton, $450 a ton. That's the sale price. Europeans and Asian consumers are paying $850, leaving $400 to $450 per ton arbitrage. So that is what we're looking at. And that arbitrage have to carry terminal fees and then the freight element. So if that can satisfy, then the $850 per ton in Asia or Europe price, then you're good. If it's above that, we're talking theoretical, then the consumer will look at alternatives. Alternatives can come from oil, NAFTA production, and so forth to get their ethylene. So at the moment, then, if you think about uh, suddenly the freight element has to carry $100 to $150 in addition to what it used to compared to going via Panama. So that is an additional cost element that that arbitrage has to carry on paper to enable the trade. And so far, that is happening. But of course, if you have a European buyer paying 850 with a lower freight element, because this, the distance is short, so it's a less freight element than compared to Asia, then 
the buyer will, will source from Europe and the Asians will look at, look at it twice. But at the moment, we still ship ethylene. The arbitrage is carrying the, the extra cost element via Cape of Good Hope to Asian consumers. But of course, it's an obvious one that US will satisfy European demand first and foremost. And a follow-up, I guess, would be: Has insurance costs gone up dramatically, or the uh, charter companies pay, or the co charter companies paying for this? Yeah, generally, um, if the if our ships are on charter, whether spot charter or um, time charter, then the customer pays for the additional war risk, and there are there is war risk in certain areas, and that uh, that comes and goes depending on the situation. Albeit, we at the end of December, we decided, of course, not to go via uh, the Red Sea and we go around the Cape. So, so of course, then the worries doesn't apply for, for those ships. But in general, customers pay for the additional worries uh, provided the ships are on the chart. And we will get into the uh, some questions that we received already on the Red Sea. Um, but... Um... Another question here is, what is your strategy regarding Canada, uh, East Coast, Atlantic, Western Coast, Pacific, uh, for the coming seven to eight years? I guess looking long-term yeah. into the 2031. Maybe I can just say here that we, we don't have a specific strategy for, for Canada to say. I mean, we have a company strategy, which is that, that we will be continuing to, to focus on our core business, which is the, the handy-sized gas tankers. And then we're looking to... Uh, say consolidate the, the markets uh, by by growing within that segment from secondhand purchases. We're also looking for growing our business, particularly within the areas of uh, green, blue, ammonia, and CO2 transportation. And here, Canada uh, could be an, an, a piece to that puzzle, uh, a growth area for us. But but we don't look at our um, uh, geographies from you know country by country. It's, it's more where we see that there are uh, High return projects that are coming, but but we do have some good customers uh, in in Canada, so uh, so there's definitely potential there. And we have a question here on the debt. What is with the outstanding debt? Uh, are we going to pay that down at a faster rate, or is it going to be uh, gradual since interest rates are up? Um, I guess this question will be for good for Gary to answer there. Yeah, look, we're already paying down hundred. And 10 120 million dollars uh, a year in in our scheduled debt amortization and i think we always look at um, what's the best financing options for us uh, we've got some maturities in 2025 that we're already starting to look at now so um, i don't think we specifically go out of our way to pay it down super fast because obviously debt plays a big part in our capital structure um, but I think that whoever's answer, asked the question is, is correct that, um, yeah, it's something we, we're looking at. And I think when we come to look at the, the refinancings, um, you know, we'll have to take a look at what we think for loan to values that we want to take and, and getting that right for our, for our balance sheet and our business. Obviously, a lot depends on the charter rates. Um, so, you know, commercially, we, we need to get the revenue in to pay the debt. Um, but, yeah, I think we're already doing some of that. And on the uh, charter rates there, uh, rates have been moving up already, uh, forward fixed for May time. Uh, any recent update on rate activity, whether in US impacting your markets? 
Um, so the you can see on that one slide that we had that's been dramatic movement on the handy size positively. Very recently, there's been a, a downward pressure on the larger uh, LPG ships. And that is probably because it, it the freight element combined with the product cost, it's, it, it takes it takes a long time to ship when you can't go through Suez or you can't go through Panama, it takes a long time to get the product. And of course, the cost element is bigger. Similarly to Italy, and there are uh, alternatives to LPG. So, so that has put pressure on that market. We haven't seen as dramatic effect on the handy size yet. The ethylene petrochemical side is still doing very well. Uh, at some point, there will be uh, some downward pressure on the LPG side. We don't generally do much spot LPG. That's for the bigger ships. But there will probably be an indirect pressure at some point on the LPG side of our business. But then again, the impact isn't going to be hugely because most of our ships are on time charters in that market, not on the spot side. So I... We've been getting a lot of questions in the corporate presentation series on the Red Sea situation on the Panama Canal. So it would be good here to just address that. Um, and uh, how would the current situation in the Red, in the Red Sea in influence your customers and shipping companies' behavior in the near term to the intermediate term? Um, anything that you can uh, talk about that? I'm sure uh, your shareholders, I think, will be good to uh, go into that right now. I can just start out by saying that um, in, in, in the Red Sea, in, in late December, we made the decision not to go through uh, Bab el-Mandeb, uh, to go through the, the Suez Canal uh, Red Sea, simply out of safety concerns for our uh, sailors and, and, and for our ships as, as well. Uh, we are trading in the Arabic Sea and the Persian Gulf, so of course there's still uh, some proximity, you could say, from our operations to the unrest that we're seeing in the, in the Middle East. Uh, we don't see a lot of uh, gas tankers go through uh, the Red Sea at this point in time, and that hence just leads to uh, ton miles going up, as the as as Oivin elaborated on a little bit early on. Sure. Um, can you go just? A lot of questions here. I'm just trying to dive in and try to put everything in order and um, talk a little bit about ammonia, bunkering, the outlook there. Um, I, you know, you talked a little bit about it during the presentation, but um, azine investment industry awareness interest, is this mainly the ammonia carriers? Do you want to go at this, Randy? Sure thing. Yeah, so... For Zane, this is for bunkering ammonia starting in Scandinavia, uh, but certainly working its way down to the U.S. Gulf, uh, Singapore, the Middle East, and other regions. So it makes a lot of sense for a ship that carries ammonia to run on ammonia, right? And we carry ammonia. Nine ships out of our 56 currently have ammonia in the halls right now. So we think that makes the most sense. And then eventually for crew tankers, dry bulk carriers, and others, uh, container ships, we think ammonia will be a big piece of the future fuel uh, kind of energy mix, right, going forward. So with that, you know, that's the investment around the same is for um, using the ammonia in barges. So we won't carry them, per se, on our handy sizes, but we will burn it 
with the newly developed engines. You look at all the big engine manufacturers, along with us, right, are working hard on developing those new ammonia-powered engines, and we think it will be first implemented in vessels carrying ammonia. So going back here to, uh, I guess, the, the financial EPS dividend outlook question, uh, current buyback schedule, um, there is uh, 20.9 million remaining. Uh, will there be an increase in the strong environment? Uh, talk a little bit about the financing at Morgan's Point. And, um, you know, I guess reassure here, just, just bring back up again, be a deal debt levels. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there. Um, I think we, you know, we don't have an ideal debt level. I think, you know, we're a fairly prudent company. We, our leverage is, is today, you know, 2.9 EBITDA net debt, as we mentioned in the presentation, I think, and that's going to come down as we're forecasting today. And I think, you know, the board and, and us as, as a management team, we're fairly prudent in terms of the amount of debt that we will carry for this business. I think that's a good place to be. We, we have that choice. Um, in terms of the financing for Morgan's Point, yeah, we're looking at that. The, the benefit for us is that we've got a large cash balance at the moment, so we're not pressurized into doing anything on that. Um, we're hoping that the large um, flex train investment will, will, will finish and, and, and start producing at the end of 2024, very early 2025, I think. So, you know, we've got a little bit of time until the very final large um, balancing payment is due. And I think a lot of that will depend on, on obviously the offtake agreements and things like that that come into play. Um, but at the moment, we've got several options. You know, we're talking to quite a few people about different ways in which we can finance that, that investment. Um, but as I say, we're not pressured because at the moment we've got the cash on our balance sheet to cover that uh, until such time as we, we put something else in place. And how do, how do you approach the growth versus shareholder return? Um, we <laughs> think at this point in time that we can do both. We can both grow the company and we can also ensure that the shareholder returns are, are well handled. Right now, we have, in, in the past year, made a relatively large share buyback and we've also instituted our capital return policy and will, of course, continue to, to, uh, to, to follow that. Uh, but I don't think we should consider that that in any way impedes our growth ambitions. We have a, num a good pipeline of, of, of growth projects that we are working on uh, right now within ammonia, within CO2, but also within our existing, you could say, handy size, uh, ethylene uh, export uh, business. So, uh, so, so we think we can both grow and, and we can also uh, return uh, to, to shareholders. We have a board and, and a management team that are quite prudent. We want to make sure that we only go into those growth projects that deliver high returns to the shareholders. So, uh, so, so that's why we'll be very picky in, in choosing between those projects. Um, but, but you will over time see that we're doing both returning capital and growing the portfolio. Yeah, and, and, and one of the participants asked this question, and, and I, I just want to make sure that it was answered. Um, your outlook for green, blue, ammonia, global trade for the next three years three years or so. But adding to that, I, I think it's one address here is, are you dependent on shipping regular, regulators to endorse that as one of the future fields? Um, I think when it comes to the, the next one to three years, you're probably not going to see massive volumes of green, blue ammonia being uh, transported on, on ships. 
it'll take a little bit longer uh, because we are seeing many of the projects that are currently being developed have not reached final investment uh, stage yet. So, so it'll it'll take a few years before there will be, those are being built up, and which is fine because we also need a little bit of time to to build the fleet for for carrying those additional uh, ammonia volumes. But in the period, we could say three to five years time, we'll see uh, literally millions of tons of uh, ammonia being transported by sea, which is going to be percentage wise a very large increase over the existing volumes. Uh, and and clearly, uh, navigator sees itself as today we are probably the shipping company in the world that has most ships involved in, in ammonia transportation. So, so we are already a big player here and we expect that to be also in the, in, in the future. And on that, uh, regarding the Navigators Joint Ventures, uh, making a lot of uh, news on that last year and um, anything that you want to add on the Mortgage Point uh, terminal expansion, the Greater Bay, the Blue Streak CO2, um, anything that uh, you know you haven't addressed during the presentation? No, I think it just underscores that that we are very serious about growing our business, and 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 we are running a, a good, robust portfolio of projects. And, and last year, you saw us deliver on a number of those, and and you can expect that we'll continue to find more opportunities like that to to complement our existing business. But also be mindful that that we will also be looking to to growing, uh, you could say, the the existing business that we have. So uh, a good combination of, of of new business areas, but also solidifying our position in the existing. Would you be I'll able invite to my colleagues to add any more to that? Yeah, I just wanted, I received a question here and uh, who do you consider your competitors? Do you see any acquisition targets? So I guess perhaps a follow-up question to the joint ventures would be, you know, on growth. I mean, is there anything there that uh, you might be uh, potentially considering? Um, I mean, you can go ahead. Yeah. I mean, competition is good. It keeps us uh, sharp and on our toes and uh, we, there is competition from several different parties, both, but remember there's also competition from larger ships and smaller ships. So it's not only in handy size per se. Um, saying that we've been a great believer in consolidation and that has worked out well for Navigator up through the years. And there are still consolidation opportunities that we constantly continuously investigate. Um, whether that is uh, you know, within our core handy size and perhaps some other sizes that fit strategically what we think, uh, what we believe the future will look like. So we, to, to add on to what Matt said, you know, growth is definitely also in the consolidation arena. Got it. Okay. Well, um, we're uh, reaching the end of the uh, call here and um, uh, I would just like to thank you, uh, the Navigator team, and uh, all the participants here uh, for taking the time to join us today. Uh, we had an excellent turnout, so thank you for that. Uh, this webinar, I just want to note, will soon be made available uh, for access on demand on Capital Link's website, um, capitallinkwebinars.com, and on Capital Link's YouTube channel. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining us. We can disconnect. Thank you.